Hello, Second Cup listeners, and welcome to the Second Cup podcast. You have found your way to the Joshua Year series, Fear, Freedom, and What Happens in Between. And today we are wrapping up that series with episode 10 called Delight in the Dead of Winter, aka The Promised Land is a Choice. And before we get started, I just want to say that I hope each of you is having a simple, restorative, and bright week leading up to Christmas. I hope that you felt the permission to look at your holiday festivities and traditions and expectations with intention this year and to ask whether they're necessary, whether they're helpful, and whether they are good for your soul. I just pray that over each one of you. So today, as we think about how God helps us cross the threshold from fear to freedom, I want to bring it back to the Israelites, where we began. In episode one, we began with Moses having his burning bush moment and God calling him out of his normalcy into this process, this journey, this epic story in order to lead not just Moses, but the whole of the Israelites' people into the promised land. And we talked about some of the ways throughout the series how God showed up and stayed for the Israelites. But I want to talk today about a glaring fact that we haven't yet talked about. And that is that Moses along with the others in his generation, did not ever make it into the promised land. In fact, God allowed Moses to stand on a mountain and look over at the promised land to see it just within his reach. And then he said, you're never going to get there. And he didn't. And we might be saying, oh my gosh, that's so cruel. How could God do that to Moses and all of the other Israelites of his generation after bringing them all the way out of Egypt and having them wander around in the desert for 40 years? How could God do that? I want to spin that around and say, It was a choice that Moses and the others made. See, throughout their journey in the wilderness, they made the choice over and over and over again to turn away from God. Even though God was right there with them. Literally, living in a tent that Moses could go and talk to him 
He came and lived and breathed and was with the Israelites. Even so, the Israelites turned away. They chose other gods to worship, idols to worship. They grumbled, they complained, they chose not to trust. And in the end, because of those choices, they didn't get to go to the promised land. And it got me thinking about if we've been on this journey from fear going towards freedom, I believe that we all need to make the decision to cross the threshold. The final step from fear into freedom. Fear into the promised land. Or as Henri Nguyen talks about, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, fear, the house of fear, into the house of love. Otherwise, we get kind of stuck in this desert place. Knowing that God is there and he is present for us, but we keep turning away anyway. We keep getting distracted and bogged down by the cares of this world when the promised land is right there. Like we can see it, just like Moses. I have been thinking and praying about what my word for the 2023 might be. I've long since given up on resolutions. I never keep them. But I like this trend of having a word for the year, something that's a guiding theme to keep coming back to, an intention to settle on. One word can be encompassing of a whole lifestyle shift or mindset shift that we want to take on. And my word for 2023 is going to be delight. Delight. And as I was meditating on this word last week, I had this thought come to me that delight, we spend a lot of time waiting for it to happen to us. As if it's some serendipitous bird that's going to alight and create delight in our lives. But the older I get, the more I realize that delight is not necessarily just going to come to us one day. It's not something that we just hope for. It's actually something that we have to step towards and to step into. It got me thinking that perhaps delight is an obligation that we have to ourselves and to the people who are looking to us for strength. Maybe we have a moral obligation to choose delight and to create it and to step into it. And I think that that's so related to fear because if we are stuck in fear, it's impossible to delight. The two things are in separate camps or separate houses. 
Right now I'm reading this book by Henri Nguyen, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I am a major fan. I'll post a link in the resources to this book. It's an oldie, but a goodie. The book is called Life Signs. And in the introduction to the book, Nguyen is talking about fear and how that gets in the way of us being fruitful and in the way of us having intimacy with others and with ourselves and God and how it gets in the way of our ecstasy. In other words, our joy. Listen to what he wrote. Though we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus, we're often seduced by the fearful questions the world presents to us. Without fully realizing it, we become anxious, nervous, worrying people caught in the questions of survival. Our own survival, the survival of our families, friends, and colleagues, the survival of our church, our country, and our world. Once these fearful survival questions become the guiding questions of our lives, we tend to dismiss words spoken from the house of love as unrealistic, romantic, sentimental, pious, or just useless. When love is offered as an alternative to fear, we say, yes, yes, that sounds beautiful, but the but reveals how much we live in the grip of the world a world which calls Christians naive and raises realistic questions. Yes, but what if you grow old and there's nobody to help you? Yes, what if you lose your job and you have no money to take care of yourself and your family? Yes, but what if refugees come to this country by the millions and disrupt the ways we've been living for so long? Yes, but what if the Cubans and Russians become powerful in Central America and start building their missiles in our own backyard? When we raise these realistic questions, we echo a cynical spirit which says, Words about peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and new life are wonderful, but the real issues cannot be ignored. Then he goes on to say, This book is based upon the conviction that love is stronger than fear, though it may often seem that the opposite is fear. And he quotes John in his first letter, Perfect love casts out all fear. I wonder how many of us really believe that love is stronger than fear. Nguyen goes on to talk about how fear is one house and love is another house. And We choose which house we'll reside in. And I think that making the choice to delight is a courageous choice. One that can seem terribly terrifying. But it's the choice to dwell in the house of love based on the conviction that love is stronger than fear. And maybe it takes a lot of bravery to be seen as sentimental or romantic or pious in, or worst of all, unrealistic to the world. So I'm going to share some 
parts of my essays from the original Joshua Year manuscript now, and then we're going to close out this podcast. Here we go. I always knew summer by the soft shoots of lupin, lavender and blush blossoms rocking in the breeze all the way up our long driveway. They grew so fervently that my father had to cut them back each year to keep them from taking over entirely. My mom would always cut a few, gathering them into a floppy bouquet for the kitchen table. When I'd walk through the door, breathless from biking up Heartbreak Hill or rushing in late at night to beat my curfew, there they'd be, a serene bundle of summer, all spicy and sensual. They were an invitation, open as long as there were still blossoms swaying to shrug out of the heavy things which had settled over our home and our souls and our minds during the long Maine winter. Every year, a reminder. A moment where the veil was lifted from our heavy eyes and we remembered, once again, that there is a time for everything. We had done our mourning and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now it was time for singing and dancing and feasting on the spicy beauty of summer. It would give me the sudden feeling that I should shed my clothes, pull out my ponytail, and cannonball into ice-cold water so that I might be baptized of everything that had been holding me captive. But, oh dear, the older I got, the more courage it took to accept that invitation. Instead of freedom, all I could feel was the still, dank air hanging around me. Let go? I simply couldn't. Who would protect my family and I from the dark things if I stopped watching for them? It would be impossible, unpredictable, scary, unsafe, and certainly irresponsible. There are pictures and dusty photo albums at my parents' house of me hanging upside down on the trapeze of our old blue swing set, completely naked, grinning with my curls flying in every direction. When I was three years old, it seemed naked was all I wanted to be. (laughs) If I was dangling in the air and feeling the sun kissing my skin while the birds sang chickadee-dee-dee-dee-dee in the trees, I reckon I was about as happy as I could be. But sorrow naturally presses into us as we get older. We talked about that a lot in our last podcast. And it's rather easy to decide to go to the place where it's pushing us the land of the half-living, where feelings are muted and joy is a myth, but at least it won't hurt so badly when the next bad things happen, for we're already mostly dead. There's no excitement there when we get trapped for a long time, but at least we feel we won't be disappointed. There's no risk, but at least we'll be safe. Three-year-old me would have been terribly disappointed to find out this could be where she was headed. She would not understand why I must always be fully dressed and serious. She would wonder why I hadn't gone skinny dipping or picked up a toad lately. She would tug on my hand and say, come play with me. One year, I got a little fired up at the smell of lupin. Something inside me kind of came alive and I realized I was a little bit tired of hiding underneath wool socks and thick blankets and all of that moldy worry. It was beginning to get a little exhausting. 
Psalm 1611 says, talking about God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I was starting to get ready for that fullness of joy. Its memory lingered faintly in the spicy smell of my youth. I sensed myself becoming ready to leave the land of half-living in order to discover pleasures forevermore. And I'm wondering if you're right there with me right now, if you have spent the whole last year kind of living in the the land of the half-living. Because, gosh, it's easier to be apathetic than to be let down or brokenhearted over and over and over again. It's easier just not to feel. And when you're in that land of the half-living, you're not going to have joy and delight, but you know you won't get hurt as bad. I hope that this is awakening something inside of you too, saying, okay, maybe it's time. Something is calling me. It's time to wake up. It's time to come back to life. For me, when that turning point happened, I decided to take off my shoes and I began to walk down the path of life that Jesus was showing me, bare feet and all. And the grass was soft and the water was cool and the birds sang chickadee-dee-dee to serenade my steps. I wrote this poem during that time. It was called Backseat. When I was a child, I used to sit in the back seat of the car and let the humming of the engine cue my mood. If we sped down the highway at a steady rumbling pace, I let my dreams take me to faraway times when I would be the master of my own vehicle. And when my father braked and the tires crackled against each little rock, I held my breath in silent waiting knowing our destination was near, and the clicking of the blinker signaled I would need to put my thoughts on hold. And I wrote that poem because when I was little sitting in the back seat of the car, while, some, while my dad was driving, I was free to dream. I was free to get lost in my delightful thoughts. And I'm noticing now as an adult that when I spend time with Jesus, it's the same idea. When I'm, or when I'm sitting with my father, heavenly father, and he's in control, it's like he's driving the car and I'm able to dream and let go and get lost in those delicious, delightful thoughts. I'm sure you've heard The common saying, do one thing every day that scares you. I listened to that probably a hundred times on my Walkman while my toes swept the grass underneath the swing on our old blue swing set. It was on my favorite Now 8 CD and it was a graduation speech by Boz Lerman. And he was offering all sorts of sage advice to a class of graduating seniors, like wear sunscreen and respect your knees. But the words that still go through my head to this day are these, do one thing every day that scares you. When I was 11, that meant jumping off the swing when it was at the top of the set or asking my mom if I could go to a movie with a boy. 
Now it looks a little different. The scariest thing now that I have to do each day is to accept that this might be a day when something bad happens. But the bravest thing that I found I can do is to trust God in spite of it. Instead of worrying about what's happening and what's coming next, the thing I do every day that scares me most is releasing control. In opening of the hands, asking God questions that I might not like the answer to, or seeing parts of his plan that involve suffering, but choosing to be thankful in spite of it. Choosing to step into the house of love, even though, especially though, I'm not exempt from brokenness and exhaustion and insult. The one thing that gives me more courage than fear is understanding God's heart. And while it will take me my whole life to explore its complexities and capacity and magnificence, and even then I'll only have touched an artery, this I do know, that his heart is for me and that his heart is also for you and that his door to his house of love is open for all of us. That when he smiles, or that he smiles when he looks at us, and that he doesn't reject us, not ever. That he is good without fail. In every singing bird and utter heartbreak and rising sun and shadowed moon, there's not a single thing that he's created without purpose, including us, including me, including you. And that's enough. It's enough for me to finally, finally relinquish the control that I never even had. It's enough for me to step out of hiding and open my eyes and extend my hands and offer my heart. It's enough for me to be brave enough to look unrealistic to the world and to step out of the house of fear and into the house of love. I am deciding to let God do the driving because I know that he's going to bring me and you too if you trust him where we need to be. And something about that brings my mind sweet, glorious relief. It frees up the space where worrying was and it makes room for me to dream once again. It creates a space for delight that wasn't there before. (sighs) Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That is what I'm going to choose to believe. Even as I declare it, the pit in my stomach is shrinking back. 
And I'm realizing that that pit of worry was never, ever from God. It was just a lie, a stumbling block planted by the enemy. Every fear in our lives is that. A lie, a stumbling block, something that is there to make us trip so that we can't get to the promised land, to total freedom. We're commanded to be brave because in our fear, we're crippled. But fortunately, we don't have to step into the promised land all alone. We can just cry out to God and ask him to get us there from the house of fear to the house of love. And he will pick us up and set us in broad places so that we can learn to walk and then run with him and experience peace, peace, perfect hope, playfulness, delight, joy, creativity. All of those things are there waiting for us. But we have to choose whether we're going to let ourselves stay stuck in the desert and get distracted by all of the dry, useless, worrisome things around us, or if we're going to get just a little bit unrealistic by the world standards and take a flying leap into the promised land. I hope that you'll join me in that freedom. And I pray over each of you that 2023 is a year of delightful excitement and freedom. That you can dare in the dead of winter, that you can dare to let your deadened heart dream once again. It has been such a pleasure to be able to do this Joshua Year series with you. Um, Be on the lookout for a new series sometime in 2023. Until then, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year.